Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Thank you for being here. Those of you that are in the building today, it's good to see you. Thanks for coming out today. Those of you at home, we appreciate you joining us wherever you may be. Uh, one of the things you may not know is that uh, we've got data on this because we've asked, but there's over 500 people who are watching every single Sunday morning, uh, along with everybody who shows up here in our space. So uh, this church isn't smaller. We've just kind of scattered for a period of time. Uh, but it's so amazing that we get to do what we do here in this room and what we get to do and celebrate with each one of you that may be at home or at work or, again, wherever you're watching today, we really appreciate you being part of the journey. Uh, and uh, as Daniel just said, we're watching Christmas Eve. Uh, they're calling for a lot of rain, so we'll make adjustments as needed and make a, a quick announcement on that so you know what's going on there. We'd love to see so many eyes, I guess, on uh, Christmas Eve because you can't really see faces anymore. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, you probably got a lot of these over the past few weeks, right? Uh, past couple of months, Christmas catalogs. A lot of those have been coming in the mail, and I mean, they, they start coming, I don't know, about September. Now, they've kind of slowed down the last uh, probably week or so, but, but we get Christmas catalogs all the time. Now, I, I can remember as a, with our kids that uh, when Christmas season was coming, they were always ready for the mail to come. And the reason was pretty simple. It wasn't because they were looking for a letter from someone. They, they were looking for Christmas catalogs. Uh, they couldn't wait for the toy catalogs to come in. And, and then they'd grab them and they'd sit down on the couch and they'd start flipping through them. And you sit down beside them like, hey, you know, which, which toys kind of interest you here? What do you want Santa to bring in? they start pointing them out. And it was like every toy on every page, right? And then in my mind, I'm thinking, how much is this going to cost? And it's like $25,000 for that one kid. It's like... It ain't happening, okay? One, your dad's a pastor, and two, that's just not reality. They, they kind of understood that later on. But that was like a big thing for them. And, and even for us to, to some degree, we, we love Christmas catalogs because they remind us that Christmas is here and it's time to give gifts. But let's just be honest. Gift giving is tough. Because you're trying to figure out who to buy for, right? You're, you're trying to figure out what to buy for that family member and for your, your parents and for your kids and your siblings and your friends, your spouse, the, the person that you're dating, the, the people you work with. I mean, there's all these, these different people you're trying to buy gifts for, except if you're married and you're a dude because your wife does all that for you, right? Some of you are going to really understand this meme we're going to put up on the screen here. This is uh, Baby Yoda. On the one side, you got mom who's drinking her coffee on Christmas morning. She's like pretty excited because she knows she bought that present and she knows the reason behind it and the purpose behind it. And dad's on the other side, like just as surprised as the kids are because he's like, uh, <laughs> wow, that's pretty cool. I wonder if I'm going to get to play that too. And I know this is true because this is my house every single Christmas because my wife does an amazing job. But look, gift giving's hard. Again, there's so much thought that goes into it, and you got a budget, and you got a plan, and your wife's got a lot of thinking to do to figure out who to give the certain gifts to. So there's a lot that goes those into it. And so that's why this morning, as we continue our series called Messy Christmas, we're going to talk about messy gifts. We're going to talk about messy gifts, because gift giving is messy. Am I giving them the right gift? Am I, am I giving them the perfect gift? Is this a gift they, they want is this a gift they, they need? But of course, I'm not really talking about buying Christmas presents today. I'm not talking about shopping for presents today. I'm talking about a couple of gifts today that I believe if we can kind of figure these two gifts out, it could totally change and transform who we are. 
And not only that, it can change and transform the world that we live in. Last week, as we were discussing our topic, and um, we, we talked about this guy named, named King, King Herod. Uh, King Herod was in charge of the Jewish political system. And uh, as we talked last week, he was ruthless, he was insecure, he was always afraid somebody was out to get him and get his position. Now, he actually did some good things, he had some good qualities, we didn't really get into that a whole lot, and we usually don't, because he was such a, a terrorizing kind of king. But, but he has this one interaction with a particular group of people that is so powerful and so important to the Christmas story. And so this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to start with verse 1, here's what it says. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his stars, it rose, and we have come to worship him. Book of Matthew is the only place that we meet these wise men. Uh, the word, the term that, that Matthew uses is actually magi. These were pagan Persian priests. Say that real fast 10 times, and that's a tongue twister. But they were part of the Persian royal courts and very influential in the Persian um, government courts that were there. But, but these guys, these magi, they were experts in three particular areas. And these were three areas that um, you and I know we don't talk about in, in cocktail parties, okay? Politics, religion, and astrology. We don't talk about those things at cocktail parties, right? Leave out that astrology piece. But, but this group who's experts in this area, they go to Jerusalem because there's this, this thing that's happening there that's pretty important to them. And they're, they're trying to figure out where this, this new king is supposed to be born. Look at verse 3. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? These priests... They're diplomats. We got a few of those running around this town. Um, but they're diplomats, so they, they understand the political climate in this area called Palestine. They, they know a little bit about Herod. Uh, he's probably got a little bit of a name even beyond where, where they are in that region. And so they, they understand the kind of person he is. They understand he's done some really good things for the people there in, in Palestine, but he's also done some terrible things. And, and so they know just how to talk to him because, again, they are diplomats. But there's a couple of things that they, or something they bring up to Herod that really bothers him. In fact, Matthew says King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. Now, one of the reasons that he would have been disturbed is that there was this huge entourage of people who actually show up at his front door. We know the song, We Three Kings, right? And so we think, We Three Kings, there must have been three wise men that showed up and that was it. Like they were in Persia and they jumped on their camels and they took off and came by themselves. That wouldn't have been the case at all. Well, first, we don't know how many there were. We have three gifts. We'll talk about those in a second. So people say, well, there must have been three kings. We don't know that. There could have been three. There could have been 30. There could have been 300. Um, they usually traveled in packs of 12. So that's a good possibility. But again, they, they weren't coming alone. Uh, they needed somebody to provide for them, so they had servants that were there taking care of their food and setting up their tents and, and helping them out and taking care of their clothes. And, and these are important people in the Persian government, so guess what? There's soldiers with them too. So, so this isn't just a few people on, on the back of some camels coming in. There's a big old entourage that shows up there at King Herod's doorsteps. And so you can imagine he's disturbed because he's like, what's going on here? 
You know, are we getting ready to be uh, exiled again? Are they going to come in with this invasion? And, and what's the story about this, this new king? I mean, that, that's not great. So if you're paranoid, like King Herod was, I mean, you're afraid of why this group of people are there. But I want you to notice something else here. It says, everyone who heard this was disturbed. It wasn't just King Herod. Historians in that day from all different cultures, were making this prophecy that there was this king, this universal king, who was supposed to show up about this time period in this region of Palestine. So this wasn't just coming from the Jewish prophecies, which we know through Scripture, but, but even Roman prophecy, and you have Asian prophecy, and some of these other, these other cultures, they were all saying the same thing. There, there's this thing about this, this main king, this big king who's supposed to show up. Last week we talked about Caesar Augustus and we said that at 57 years old he put out his birth announcement. Now why would he do that in 6 BCE? Well, because he knew about this prophecy. He, he had heard about this potential king who was coming. And so not only is Herod kind of afraid of this because he's afraid his power is going to be taken from him, but even the people are like, oh my gosh, is this the moment where this king is going to come? These priests bring this news, and everyone's kind of afraid. But these priests, they, they do this one thing. They quote this very obscure scripture in Micah 5, 2. Here's their response to Herod. Look at verse 5. It says, In Bethlehem and Judea, they said, For this is what the prophet wrote, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Why would this entourage of people travel from Persia, and which would have been like Iraq, Iran area? Why would they travel from there to Jerusalem, which was about 900 miles? Why would they take six months to make this trip? And then when they get there, why do they quote this obscure passage in Micah 5:2? How do they connect all these dots? About 600 years before this moment, uh, you had the nation of Israel, and it was kind of in disarray. And um, Babylonian Empire was big. The Babylonians came in. They destroyed the nation of Israel. And they took a bunch of the Jewish people. And they exiled them back to Babylon with them. Now, they were there for a period of time, but then the Persians and the Medes came in. They destroyed the Babylonian Empire, and the Persians and Medes were like, hey, guys, you can go back home if you want to, or you can stay here. And many of them went back to Palestine, went back to the Israel area, but, but some of them stayed back. So these Persian priests, what do they do? They, they learn different cultures. They're very in tune to religion. They're very in tune to politics. And so they spend their time studying the Jewish faith. So, so they're learning Hebrew. They're, they're learning all about the Torah. They're learning all about these different prophecies. And so when they, when they recite Micah 5 too, it's because it's kind of become ingrained in them. They've been looking for this king. They've been looking for this Messiah. And oh, by the way, they're astrologers, and there's this kind of the star thing. We don't really know the whole connection there, but, but you put those things together, and they put those things together, and they said, all right, that, that king is being born. We, we need to go meet this king there in, in Judea and go find this new king for all people. And so they head there because of this prophecy that they had learned from these Jews that had been exiled there, and they go to find this new king. Look at verse 7. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men 
And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. If you're an insecure king, um, if you're afraid that you're going to lose your position of power, if you've actually killed people in your family because you thought they were going to come in and take your, your role, are you really going to worship a new king that's going to be born four or five, six miles from where you are? No. His purpose isn't to worship this king. His purpose is to kill Jesus. Find this new king. Tell me where this new king is living, and then I'll come worship this king. And that's not what Herod had in mind. But here's what the wise men did. Verse 9. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. They went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. But when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We kind of have this image because of our nativity scenes that probably many of us have in our homes right now that the wise men were there as soon as Jesus was born. You got Mary and Joseph and the baby and you got the shepherds and the sheep and then you got the wise men and they're there and they have these treasure chests and they open it up and that's not the way it quite happened. Um, the wise men showed up probably about 40 days to up to two years after Jesus' birth. Mary and Joseph lived there in Bethlehem. And so they actually show up at Jesus' home where, where Mary and Joseph live. That, that don't think, well, I got to throw the wise men out of your nativity scene, okay? The nativity scene is this great idea. It's kind of showing all these people that are a big part of this huge event in, in, in human history, okay? That, that's it. But they weren't really there on, at that time. Jesus was a little bit older, again, probably 40 days up to two years old. But why is this still so important? Why is it important they traveled for six months over 900 miles to come there? Well, here's why it was important. They were there to do one thing. They were there to worship this new king. They were there to worship Jesus. And what did they do? They brought Jesus these gifts. Again, if we think about Christmas time, we're trying to, to buy the perfect gift. What's the perfect gift for my spouse? What's the perfect gift for the boyfriend and the girlfriend I have or my fiance or my best friend or my coworkers, my kids? What, what's the best gift? What's the perfect gift that I can buy? Because we want to make sure the gifts that we purchase at Christmas, that there's some meaning behind them. Like there's some purpose. We, we don't just go to Target and like, you know what, I'm just going to grab this and take it home, wrap it up. I'm like, hey, here you go, honey. I hope you like it. What is it? I don't know. I just bought it for you because I just want to give you a Christmas gift. That's not how this works. We, we put time and effort behind it so that we can give them something that means something to them. Uh, for instance, let me talk to the dudes and bash us a little bit more because this is not one of our fortes, right? We're, we're not really, most of us are not great at, at purchasing gifts. We're, we're not really known for that. In fact, some of you guys, you've forgotten that Christmas is this week. You're like, oh man, I gotta go buy some gifts. Uh, Daniel pretty much just said that. He confessed that up here that he just went yesterday and bought a bunch of gifts. But, um, but that's kind of the way we see things. And some guys, look, here's the deal. You're going to wake up on Christmas Eve morning and you're going to hope that Amazon Prime delivers on Christmas Day. Because you're just still, you're, you're going to forget. You're not even going to think about it. But then some of you guys, you're going to go and here's what you're going to buy. You're going to buy your, your wife a vacuum cleaner. And you're going to give it to her on Christmas Day. 
And the rest of us dudes are going to be praying for you because it's going to be your worst Christmas day ever, okay? You're going to do that, or somebody in my house is actually going to get some cleaning supplies for the shower. For Facebook friends, you'll understand that. You'll get that later. But anyway, a little riff between my wife and I about who cleans the shower in our house. Um, but she's going to get some shower cleaning supplies. But anyway, we, we buy gifts that fit a purpose, right? There's a meaning behind it. There's a purpose behind it. We, we want this gift to mean something, not just something we, we pulled off a shelf and thought, well, I hope they like it. No, we, we put some effort into it. It's the same thing these priests did. There was thought and there was effort behind every single gift that they gave Jesus. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And each one had the significance. Gold is this precious metal. It was reserved for kings. Frankincense is, a, is this incense, it's this amber resin, it was a perfume, and it was reserved for priests, and the priests would actually take it to the Holy of Holies at the temple, and that was the place that Jesus dwelled, and they would burn this frankincense, this, this aroma that would be outside of this for, for God to smell, so God could smell this, this wonderful smell. And then you had myrrh. myrrh. Myrrh was a spice, it was anointing oil, it was an embalming oil, uh, a lot of times we connect it to death. You know, people would pass away and they would wrap them in the cloth and they would pour this myrrh on them to keep the smell of the body from, from being so bad. If we look in the Old Testament, we actually find that myrrh was used for celebrations, that it was used for festivities, um, that it actually symbolized joy. And, and so we have these three gifts that these, these wise men bring to Jesus and they worship him with. And each one had a purpose and a meaning behind them. The gold was because Jesus was going to be the king of heaven. You know, frankincense was because Jesus is the high priest, this connection that we have as humans with God, and Jesus is that, that mediator or intermediary for, for you and for me. And then myrrh, if we look at it both ways, there's the joy of this, the Savior being born, but there's also, the, again, these guys knew some stuff, there's the death that's going to happen. And they're familiar with the prophecies, right? So they, they know this death is going to happen to the Savior. And, and so they bring myrrh, and, and that's going to be for the time that, that Jesus dies. But each gift had meaning, and each gift had, had purpose behind it. Now, I'm kind of thinking Mary is like, hey, we're going to keep the gold, and we're going to re-gift the frankincense and myrrh. And I'm kind of thinking she may have been thinking that. But no matter what the case may have been, every single gift that was brought by those Persian priest had a purpose and meaning to say, Jesus, you are worth this. You are worth this as a king. You are worth this as a high priest. You are worth this as a savior. And so they understood the gift that was given to them and to us, to humanity from God, that incredible perfect gift of Jesus. As we look at this story, as we look at these events that took place and the experience these magi had, I think it ask, makes us ask this question. If this is the gifts that they're bringing, what are the gifts that you and I bring? What's the gift that you and I bring as we worship Jesus? Now, I'm not talking about Christmas gifts. I'm not talking about wrapping. I'm not talking about the adding to the $1 trillion that's going to be spent over the Christmas season. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about you and your life. What do you bring? What is the gift that you bring to worship Jesus? Now, I'm going to make the answer pretty quick here for you and simple so you don't have to think about it. The, the answer is the gift that you and I bring to Jesus, the gift you bring is you. 
The gift that you bring to worship is you. You are an incredible gift. Now, you're not perfect, but none of us are. But you're an incredible gift. You're an incredible gift to the people around you. You're an incredible gift to your family, to your friends, to your roommates, to your coworkers. Your incredible gift to this church, to this community, to this world. See, each one of us is an incredible gift. Not only have we been given the gift of Jesus, but, but we have been given this opportunity to be this gift to the world because of Jesus. But you and I don't see ourselves that way. Here's what we do. We focus on our baggage. Uh, we focus on our junk. We focus on our messiness. And so in our lives, we say, well, look at all this. Look at my past and look what I'm going through. And this is probably what the future is going to look like. And, and so we kind of get stuck in that place. And we never see ourselves as this incredible gift that we are to this world. Again, because we're stuck in our mess. And we forget who we are. I, I love this passage from King David. He writes this in Psalm 139. And sometimes it just pops in my head when I'm kind of struggling with this kind of thing. Like, man, I, maybe I'm not quite who I should be. Maybe I'm messier than, than, than I should be. And I, and I come back to this every single time. Psalm 139, 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your life is an incredible gift from God. And you're a gift because of what it says here. It says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Every little part of you is made by God. Your, your personality, all the, the inner workings of who you are and, and your characteristics, I mean, all of that is, is who God has created you to be. Because again, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And since you're made by God, that means you're loved by God. And since we're loved by God, guess what God said? God said, here's my son. Now, here's what I ask you. Here's my son, now I ask you to worship and follow him. Here's the perfect gift. But oh, by the way, you're an incredible gift too. And I want to see you do incredible things in this world. And here's the deal. You and I as a gift doesn't cost us anything. Uh, we don't have to worry about delays and delivery. Uh, we don't have to worry about going out and shop for who we are. God has created us in such a way that we're just this incredible gift that we have an opportunity to give back to the world. And honestly, I will say we're the perfect gift too. Even in our messiness, and even being a messy gift, we're, we're still a perfect gift. That when we follow Christ and we accept Jesus, man, we, we worship Christ in such a way that we can then be a gift to the world we live in. So what does this look like? What does this look like for us to, to be a gift to the world? I'm going to share with you four things that I think uh, are ways that it looks like for us to live that out uh, every single day that we live. Here's the first one. <clears throat> give your time. Give your time. Uh, the older I get, the more I realize my time is limited. You know, when you're young, you don't really think about that. You're like, man, I got forever. And when you get a little bit older, you're like, ooh, wow, the end's coming at some point in time. And one of the areas that always kind of comes to my mind that I need to be better at and, and I have to do, do more of is to give more of my time. We need to learn to give more of our time away to people around us. I mean, how do you spend your time? What do you spend your time on? 
If we were to take 168 hours and begin to kind of schedule that out, we'd find we spend a lot of wasted time. What if we gave time back to those in our lives? And let me throw out a couple of ideas here. First, hey, if you're married, here's an idea for you. Um, Plan some date nights. Now, guys, again, we're not real good at this. This is how it works in my house. Kara will text me like, hey, you want to go out to dinner tonight? I'm like, yep, got it. I'll be making reservations and figuring that whole thing out. That's just a reminder. We need to do a date night. Guys, we got to get better at that. Most of us are not really good at that. Plan a date night. Say, hun, I got it all figured out. I got a babysitter. They're COVID-free. We're good. They're coming in a bubble. They got that taken care of, and here's what we're going to do tonight, okay? Or, or maybe you're like, I'm afraid to go out. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to put your kids up. You're going to put the little code into the door so they can't get out anytime soon. You're going to go downstairs. You're going to put a blanket, and you're going to have a picnic right on the, on the living room floor. And you know what? It's going to be one of the best date nights you've ever had. We got to plan these things. That's time that we can give to those around us. If you've got kids, man, you've got to give your kids time. And that doesn't mean you're training them to be the next Olympian. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just times for conversation. You're going out and you're hanging out with them. You're walking with them. You're, you're playing ball with them. You're, you're doing activities with them. You're scrapbooking with them. Whatever it is that they love to do, you're, you're doing that with them. You're, you're sitting on the couch and you're looking at that toy catalog with them as they point all the toys they want out. This is what it means to give some time to our kids. Maybe you're single. And you're like, what about me? Like, hey, here's the deal. Give times to your friendships. Uh, I, I'm afraid that um, many of us or many of you who may be single may find yourselves kind of stuck in your apartment or your townhouse or your home in a time like now and, and think, I'm afraid to get out. Or, or I, I don't really want to know people want to interact with me. And, and you know, here's the deal. Don't, you don't have to be lonely anymore. Call that friend up, like, let's, let's go for a walk in the park. Let's go hang out. Let's go have coffee, socially distanced with our mask on, but let's go do this. So we, we got to give time to people in our lives. It's a great gift that we have, which means we put it on our schedule. Give your time. It's an incredible gift. Give your ears. Now, I, I don't mean this, uh, you know what I mean. I mean this, uh, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Yeah, figuratively, thank you. Not literally, figuratively this morning, just in case any kids are watching. But um, there's so much stuff that's going on around us. I mean, noise all over the place. And we get caught up in, in the noise of work and activities and family and friends and parties and Christmas and all that. And it's constant. We forget about other people. You want me to tell you one of the best gifts you can, gifts you can give is to give your ears, to, to take some time to stop and listen to others. As a pastor, I can tell you one of the things people love to do is talk about themselves, okay? Which is great, but here's the deal. We gotta be willing to stop and listen. We, we gotta be willing to say, hey, man, I know you've had a hard year. I know you've been sick. I know you've had someone who's passed away. I, I know you're struggling. I know mentally this has been a hard year for you. And I, I am, I'm here for you. I just, wanna, I just wanna stop and I just wanna listen to you. And then let them share their life. Let them share their celebrations. Let them share their challenges. Let them just share about every aspect of who they are. Sometimes the best thing people want is just for you to stop and to listen. And so an incredible gift we can give is our ability to listen, our ears. But also give your words. Again, the world's messy. Uh, People are struggling I mean, that's physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. This, is, this has been an extremely tough year. 
And you know what people want to hear from us? They don't want to hear our stories back. They want to hear words of encouragement. Listen to me and what I have to tell you. Let me share about where I am. But then our job is to say, well, let me give you some words of encouragement back. Not, not trying to fix it. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm just talking about taking the time to give words of encouragement to those around us. That may mean that we take a piece of paper and a pen and we write a note. Uh, that's, a, that's a gift that most of us have that we've kind of forgotten about in this day and age. But maybe a note of encouragement, maybe a text message of encouragement. Here's a novel idea. Pick up a phone, because you got it right now. Beside, pick up the phone and call them. I know that's hard for us to do anymore. Pick up the phone, like, man, I just want to encourage you. I know you've had a tough year. And then I want to tell you something that's even more powerful than that. As you ask them, can I pray for you? And I don't mean pray for them later on. I mean, I know you've had a hard year. I know you're having a hard time. I just want to encourage you. Can I just pray for you? I can't remember the statistics right now. I think it's somewhere like 80 to 85%. It's been a while since I've looked at it. But 80 to 85% of people who are far from God, who do not even believe in Jesus, who are having a tough time, if you ask them, can I pray for you? About 85% will say yes. And we forget about the power of prayer. And God may use that gift to influence someone's life for eternity. Just take the time to do that. Write a prayer out, whatever it may be. Just encourage people with your words. And then lastly, give your love. Give your love. If you follow Jesus, if, if you're like those priests and you say, that, hey, I, I worship Jesus and I, I, I want to follow Jesus with everything that I am, if that's who we say that we are, then we have this incredible gift that we have to give, and that's the gift of love. Because that's why we are here. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came as a gift of love to us from God, which means that we should be a gift of love of who Jesus is to the world <clears throat> that we live in. That even in our messiness, we show what love looks like. And we shower the world with Christ-like love all around us. And not just during the Christmas season where we're kind of feeling a little bit better about life, but every single day that we live give your love. Now, I know there's other things that we can add here, but as I, I think about this time of year and, and I think about this incredible gift we've been given and the gifts that, that we are that we can give back to the world, man, maybe this is the time that we actually start living this out. And again, not just for a few days, not just for a couple of weeks, but as we head into the year ahead of us, give you, give yourself. You're not perfect. You're messy because I know I am, but we can be a messy gift to this world. Why is this important? Well, there's a piece to the story, these events with the Magi, that just really hit me this past week. If you go back to Matthew 2, at the end of verse 10, here's what it says. It says, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Here are these wise men who say they were filled with joy. And why? Because they understood who this king was. They, they understood the, the purpose of, of the, this king that, that was here. Now, I want you to notice something here. It doesn't say that they were happy about the star. They were happy about this new king, does it? I've talked about happiness before. Happiness is an emotion. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is kind of like a roller coaster thing. It kind of it comes and it goes. Happiness is a reaction to something that has happened. This says that they were full of joy because they found this king. As I think about that, here's what it tells me. 
they have been searching for and looking for and hoping and expecting this king for probably many, many, many years. And so it doesn't bring them happiness. It brings us incredible joy. Because joy, it's a constant. Joy isn't some feeling. Joy is, is rooted in, in who God is. It's rooted in our messiness. It's rooted in our struggles. It's rooting in our searching because we know there's something bigger and better and more perfect for us. And that was that gift of that king that these Persian priests were worshiping. That even when life throws us these curveballs, even when life doesn't go the way that we expect it to, even when every day feels like 2020, even when life is like that, here's the deal. When we have accepted this gift of who Jesus is and we live that gift out in our life as a gift, we will always experience joy, not happiness. Again, happiness comes and goes, but joy stays with us forever because we understand the gift that we have been given. One part of the story that I think about too is what happened to these magi when they left? I mean, this king they've been searching for forever and they traveled all this distance and they, they met the king and they opened their treasure chest and they give these treasures to this king. They give it to Jesus. They were, they were full of joy. What happened then? Was that it? I don't think so. Because I think they knew the story better than most Jewish people did. They knew that this king was the savior. They knew this king was coming and was someday going to be killed and brought back to life and, and be this universal king. I, think, I like to think their lives were changed forever, that they were transformed forever because of the connection to that king, because of the joy that they found in Jesus. We might find some happiness in some catalogs. We might find a few things in here that... Like, yeah, that would be great. I'd love to have that present. But that's just going to be fleeting. A few weeks from now, that stuff's going to be broken or we're going to forget about it or it's not going to fit anymore, whatever it may be. That's not joy, that's happiness. Only true joy comes from the gift that's from Jesus, that is Jesus. And the joy that we can give others through our belief and following Christ, man, it can last an eternity too. So this holiday season, as you're thinking about your gifts, as people open them up here in a few days, I hope you'll go back to that one amazing, perfect gift that was given us. And then if we follow Christ, to be reminded we are to be an incredible gift to this world that we live in too. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today and this time together and just an opportunity to Look at the events and uh, some of the characters in this incredible history that we are giving, the, the time of the birth of, of Christ and just all these different people. And you think about these priests who aren't even Jewish and, 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 and yet here's the symbol of Jesus, this king being here and I've got to think there's some acceptance there of who he is and how their lives are changing. And even this idea that, that Jesus wasn't just here for the Jewish people, but Jesus was here for everybody. And God, I, I, I pray that in some incredible way that those priests just change lives because of that experience. Because I, I know, God, our experience with Christ changes us. And I pray that it changes us to make us different than who we are right now. And so, God, we're messy gifts. 
We're not perfect, but you are, and Jesus was, and Jesus still is. And I pray we can hold on to that. And that we too, like these magi, can find the joy that only comes through following Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.